Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. It's good to have you tuned in for the program. The Spirit of God can change your life. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what your situation is. But in a moment, I'm going to challenge you to pray a prayer to God that says, God, surrender my whole life. I want to come home to you. I want you to do in me everything you want to do. And I've got to tell you, I've discovered God is a good God. We know that God doesn't like sin. So when we recognise the ugliness of sin in our own lives, we can be reluctant to return to God. How can he love us when we've betrayed him? Let's gain some insights from the Israelites as we join Dr. Corbett for another look at Jeremiah. Anyway, let's open God's Word. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. This is our seventh part in looking at Jeremiah. We're, we're really taking our time. And what I want to do is look at each of the discourses. That is, each time Jeremiah spoke, I want to... Look at, in particular, what he had to say in that moment and just ponder that. And so my, my heart and my motive is, is not to butcher the text. I don't want the text to say anything other than what it actually says. And I think that's really important for us. When we read Scripture, I hope we're doing three things. I hope we're reading Scripture three times. And you can do all three at the one reading, but this is it. Number one. Read what the text actually says. And, and many people... I remember I went for a... I was out street witnessing in Geelong and, and uh, I was just talking to one of the guys I was out with and, and he said, you know, um, I'm just so thankful to God for fellowship because it's fellowship that causes me to be washed in the blood of Christ. Yeah, I walked a few steps and I, I thought... Where did you get that from? And so I said, where did you get that from? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, 1 John, 1, 7 and 8, it says, you know, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another and his blood cleanses us from sin. I said, I don't think it's... I, don't, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think the point of that verse is that we fellowship with each other so that we can be washed in the blood of Christ. I think you find the start of the verse is if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we can fellowship and then we're, we're washed in his blood. And so he opened up his Bible, he read it, and he goes, Ah, oh, yeah, that is what it says, isn't it? I said, well, yeah. Now, just, I'll just share that story just to say that sometimes we can read things and we're not really reading it. We're not really reading it. And sometimes we, we need to read things and just make sure we're reading what the text actually says. That's the first reading. Second reading is, what does the text mean? To ask that question. And I think that can be a prayerful question as well. And we can pray, God... Show me what this means. And as we deal with these first five verses of Jeremiah chapter 3, this has been my prayer for the last three weeks. God, these five verses here, they, what do they mean? And yeah, I read commentaries and I read other people's opinions and, and I do that, but there comes a point where I've got to put that aside and go, okay, God, is there anything else in your word that can shed more light on this text? 
And that's how we come to the meaning of the text. And I think that's really important. And, and I've shared with you before that the, that the Bible uses language in a particular way. I, I've been having this ongoing YouTube dialogue. In, in the old days, the old days, about a year or two ago, <laughs> technology has changed so fast, I tell you. Now with YouTube, we, we post these videos as a church on, on, the, in, on the, uh, the web. And we, we give people the opportunity to make comment about it. Now, in the old days, one or two years ago, the comments were profane. I mean, literally expletive swearing and just all sorts of name calling. And, and so I would go in and just delete those comments off. Well, I don't do that anymore. Because I think, I think we're moving into a, a culture that wants to dialogue. They want, they want to have a discussion. And it's no longer good enough for a preacher just to stand up and tell it the way it is and that's the end of the matter, no discussion entered into. I thought, well, no, we'll, we'll open this up for discussion. And it's pretty frustrating, I've got to say, because sometimes the discussion is profane and it is pointless and there's no reason to it and it's name-calling and it's... All of the stuff that just drives you mad. But I, I, I made uh, a, a reference uh, to somebody who, who said, yeah, you claim that there's evidence for God, which I do, by the way. I think there's a lot of evidence for God. I, in fact, I think the evidence clearly points to the God of the Bible being who the Bible claims he is. And this person said, well, then that's not faith. And you hear that all the time, you know. Faith doesn't need proof. Faith isn't grounded in fact. Faith is a belief that's like a leap of blind faith. And that's not faith at all. Faith has its reasons. And that's what Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, isn't it? Faith is the what? Evidence. Sorry, did I move too fast then? (laughs) Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the evidence. Now, it really doesn't matter what it says after that. It happens to say the evidence of things hoped for, but it's based on evidence. It's not blind faith. And this person said to me, you know, you're using faith in, a, in an, a, a, an unconventional way. Where do you get your definition from? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Um, I, I got a gift of interpretation when, when Jake said something right at the end on the news Something about brew. Brew. And I think what he means is brother in the Lord. (laughs) That was what the Holy Spirit was revealing to me anyway. What did you actually say, Jake? See you, brew. (laughs) Which means goodbye, fair biddings and salutations, my brother in the Lord. (laughs) And... See, the thing is, I could go up to Jake and go, Jake, did you know that brew is actually coffee? <laughs> and when you say CU coffee, it makes no... Well, see, there would be a silly discussion to have because he has defined what that ridiculous term, <laughs> brew, which I know what he's doing. He's been a Kiwi for a nanosecond. They all say that. Hey, brew. Anyway, and, uh, but see, he's defined the meaning of that term. Now, I, I, I can't go up to him and say, no, that's not what it means, because he's 
He said, well, I don't care what you think it means. I'm telling you the way I'm using it, this is what I mean. And the Bible kind of does that as well. When the Bible says certain things like uh, the, the sun sets, the sun comes up. Well, here's, here's a question. Does, does the sun come up? No, it doesn't. But get a grip. What is the Bible actually saying? It's saying from the perspective of the person who God used to write this text, it looked like the sun came up in the morning. And don't we use that expression today? And so we read it knowing what they intended to mean. The sun comes up. Well, what's the author saying? It was morning. I know that's hard for some people with arts degrees, but <laughs> that's what it means. And this guy on Facebook, uh, not Facebook, Face page, whatever thing, YouTube was saying, you, you're not using faith correctly. I said, well, I am. This is what I mean by it. And this is the way I've consistently used it. He said, well, give me a reference. I thought, okay, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Ah, oh, just as I thought. You're using a 2,000-year-old discredited book. You see, where do you go with a discussion like that? But the point is, the terms used by the Bible are what, if you can understand, this is what it's trying to get across. So when we look at this passage, I, I, I don't want to do anything other than, what does the text say? What does the text mean? And then the third reading of, of a text is, okay, God, what do you want to do in my heart? And I hope today... We ask that question. God, what do you want to do in my heart? So let's pray and look at these first five verses. Lord Jesus, we come to you as the one who offers forgiveness, hope, a new beginning. Lord, you're able to take our scars and turn them into stars. You're able to take our tests and help us to turn them into a testimony. So, Father, I pray that no matter where people are at, no matter where, where they've been, no matter who they've been with, no matter what they've done, no matter what their life has amounted to to this point, that right now we will come to this place. We will lay bare our hearts before you. We will allow your word to speak to us. And Holy Spirit, you speak. Speak right into people's hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at Jeremiah, and, and as I just give you a little bit of background, Jeremiah was a prophet who lived around uh, 620 BC. He, he witnessed the invasion of uh, Judah in 586 BC. He then witnessed Babylon come back some 10, 20 years later, and just completely destroy the city. Just, just and take the last of the, of the people. And, and, and this man lived through it. And the most amazing thing about Jeremiah is that he prophesied things that would be fulfilled over the next 500 years. You read Jeremiah 31 and Jeremiah 33, and you read of a prophet 
prophesying about what we are doing right now. He prophesied the church. He prophesied the church meaning all around the world. He prophesied a new covenant which would be celebrated on a Sunday, not a Saturday. He prophesied that we would receive something from the Holy Spirit called a new heart because of a new covenant. Pretty amazing. But more amazing, perhaps, is is the prophecies he gave which were fulfilled during his own lifetime. And I find this incredible. If, If you have doubt which all Christians do, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that we've learned what to do with our doubts. We counter our doubts with the evidence. And we have good reason to believe this really is God's word. And we have good reason to believe that the message it reveals about who God is really is the truth. It's not a Christian truth. It's the truth. And so as we we look at what Jeremiah prophesied, even in his own lifetime, and we know that this was written down in the day in which he lived and was written and copied and copied for 600 years up until the time of Christ. And we can go back and find fragments and, 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 and parts of this document that date back hundreds of years BC, which shows that what he prophesied during his own lifetime came to pass, you've got to stand in awe and go, how did he do that? Unless it was God. And so my faith is strengthened when I read Jeremiah. And when I read Jeremiah interacting with God, there are times when I go, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. I felt called from a young age. I'm the son of a truck driver. I'm the son of a dried flower florist. Not the same person. One was my mum. One was my dad. And I was born and raised between an abattoir, literally an abattoir and an oil refinery. My dad left school at age 11. When I went to high school, my dad would say to me, you're wasting your time. Just get out there and get a job. You don't need an education. And yet all the time the hand of God was upon me from, the young, from a very young age. I was deeply curious about the Bible. And I can't even explain that to you. But I remember in grade six, we had a day, uh, grade four I think it was, where we had a day where the teacher said, it's free book day. You can bring any book you want to school. And I brought the Bible. Grade four. You know, you thought I was nuts. I've just confirmed it. What grade four kid in a government school brings a Bible to school? Free reading. I open up the Bible. There was such a strong... See, when I was born, I was born dead. And my, my mum was told, There's no, this baby has no chance. I was born breech cesarean, upside down, and, and they had to give me a really good whack to get me going. But my mum dedicated me to God from birth. Leading up to my birth, she said, God, there's no hope for this baby in the natural. He's yours. And so from from the earliest age, I had this deep sense of the hand of God upon me. And when I was 15, I had an encounter which I call salvation. And even though my parents were churchgoers, it wasn't until I was 15 that suddenly the lights went on for me. And I saw that I was somebody... (laughs) If I just kept going the way I was going, 
was going to get from God all I deserved, and I knew that spelt H-E-L-L. I knew it. And I know that there are people who argue there's no such thing and God would never do that. Well, I knew I was going there. And I remember reading through the book of Romans and crying out to God for the salvation that he offered to be saved from my sin, to be saved from the destiny of hell, and experiencing the peace of God at age 15. And then a year later, as I'm continuing to read through the Bible, I'm, I'm reading about the Holy Spirit who comes and he fills you. And in some instances, some people speak in tongues, pray in tongues, begin to dream things, begin to hear things, begin to move in what's called the gifts of the Spirit, and it radically changes your life. And I'm reading this in John chapter 14, 15, 16. Jesus talked about it. I'm reading it in Luke 24. I'm reading it in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and so on. And I'm going, God, I don't know if this is for today. I hadn't met anybody yet who hadn't... Who, who, who had told me, don't worry about it, that's not for today. I read it in the Bible and I said, well, they had it. I want it. And at age 16, I was prayed for and something happened, dramatically happened in my life. And I went home that night and unfamiliar with the words of Jeremiah 1, I felt burned into my soul, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, from the womb I called you and I ordained you to preach to the nations. And I lived for that. And I wrote that down, that, those two verses down in just about every Bible I had from that point on up until just a few years ago. And now I'm living it. The hand of God. The Spirit of God can change your life. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what your situation is. But in a moment, I'm going to challenge you to pray a prayer to God that says, God, I surrender my whole life. I want to come home to you. I want you to do in me everything you want to do. And I've got to tell you, I've discovered God is a good God. He's a very good God. And this is a bit of the background to Jeremiah and why I relate to Jeremiah. Now, as pastor of a church, we deal with the things that Jeremiah is speaking about. And he was speaking about a time that was very difficult. And we're not in the same time as Jeremiah, and so I find it actually difficult to be able to take his word, lift it out of history, lift it out of the pages of Scripture, hold it up to you, and not give you the impression that I think this is what God wants to say to you right now. No, I don't think it's the same message for us today, but I think there are lessons we can learn from this message for us today. And I hope in this passage you're going to hear the heart of God. You're going to feel the heart of God. And I hope you're going to see one thing, and I hope it's this. It's never too late to come home. It's never too late to come home. Let's have a look. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1. If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and become another man's wife... Will he return to her? We'll just ponder there. You see, the prophet is, is picking up on a command in the book of Deuteronomy that says, allows for divorce. And we know Jesus said, divorce was never in the heart and mind of God. Never. But Jesus went on and said, 
Moses gave you the law of divorce because your hearts were, what's the word? Hard. And whenever there's a divorce, there's a hard heart. There's a hard heart. And the law says, don't do this flippantly. If you are going to divorce, you've got to understand the ramifications. You can never come back and be remarried. So it's not like you're going to do this for a spat and say, all right, I've got that out of my system. The law said, no, don't divorce. But if you do, you are never to go back. I guess it's trying to give us the gravity of, of the decision. So it became unthinkable for a man to think of divorcing his wife and then to take her back later. Unthinkable. And you see what the prophet's saying? He's saying if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him, will he be, uh, and becomes another man's wife, will the first husband have any claim on her? Will the first husband accept her back? And, and clearly it's what we call a rhetorical question. It's a question that doesn't really need an answer because the answer is obvious. There's no way. A husband, and think about the husband whose wife has left him for another man. Think about this because this is going to set the tone for these five verses. Think about the heartache this man feels. I was, I was with a, a pastor in America and he hadn't seen his wife for a little while. She, she'd gone on a, a trip and, and next time he saw her, she said, look, we just need to go to the, to the attorney and get a few things sorted out as far as our will and so on. And he goes, oh, sure. He went there and as he got into the office, the, the attorney said, well, I'm glad you're here, slid divorce papers across the desk. He was gutted, absolutely stunned. And God is saying, a man who's been through that isn't easily able to forgive and welcome back. So just hold that thought for the moment as we continue reading the rest of verse 1. Because this is what it says, and it's a strange link, but I want you to see that Scripture links moral behaviour, especially sexual behaviour, with ecology. Now, ecology, for those who didn't do high school, is the environment, it's the condition of our water, it's the condition of our air, we drove into LA, and from 30 miles out, you can see this brown, yellow, orange haze over the city. And some, someone said, where do you come from? I said, Tasmania, where the air is clear. And they said to me, oh, I wouldn't be breathing any air I can't see. Ecology is the condition of the water, the condition of the air, the condition of the land. And this is what it says. If, scripture has this message that if you go off and completely ignore God and live a morally reprehensible life, the ecology will be affected. There's a spiritual connection. This is, what, this is how it puts it. Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers. And would you return to me, declares the Lord. You see what God is saying here in verse 1? I'm the husband. I'm the husband and we got married on Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, we exchanged covenant agreement. 
On Mount Sinai, we pledged ourselves to each other. You pledged yourself to me as a nation. I pledged myself to you as your God. But you have rejected me. Now, at the moment, I just want you to think how God feels. And, and I'm going to ask some pretty serious questions about this text. And here's the first one. What does betrayal look like to God? Because some people have this concept that God is the infinitely forgiving God. And I don't think he is. Let me explain. I think God's forgiveness, if you receive it, can be infinite for you. But there are some people who will never receive it. And for them, God's forgiveness has no effect. They have rejected the forgiveness of God. Its effect toward them has no power. And some people think, though, they can live any way they want. And the infinitely forgiving God will just turn a blind eye to it. And when they die and leave this life and go and stand before God in the next, everything will be okay. What does betrayal feel like to God? What does it look like to God? If we had the time, we'd look at 2 Kings chapter 17, which Jeremiah wrote. And we would see Jeremiah recaps the history of Israel and Judah. And, and we would see in this passage in 2 Kings 17, where he says, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to you to call you to come back home. And you wouldn't. The prophet Jeremiah in 2 Kings 17 puts it this way. You abandoned God and you began to do what the nations around you were doing and should never have done. You sacrificed your children in the fire. And that's what the nations were doing. They'd give birth. After about a few days or a week or so, they would take their child, offer it up to the god Molech and throw it in the fire alive. God forbid. Thank you, Lord, that we're not that uncivilised today. Or are we? Molech, the god of convenience. And God says, I feel betrayed. And in 2 Kings 17, we read down about verse 30 or so, the prophet Jeremiah says to the people, the heart, he reveals the heart of God, and, and God is saying, there are certain things I wanted you to give me and me only. I was watching a movie <clears throat> the other day with Sandra Bullock, and, and I've, I feel for Sandra Bullock at the moment. Her husband's just been found out that he's a cheat at one of the few long-term marriages in Hollywood and, and she was bragging about what a strong marriage they have and how she wouldn't let her husband who's an actor play in any movie where he had to do any nude scenes with another woman or even kiss another woman and then shortly after she gave that interview it was revealed that he was having an affair and there's, you feel the heartache you feel the heartache and there are certain things that only a husband should give his wife and no other woman. There are certain things a wife should only give her husband and no other man. And God uses some key words in 2 Kings 17, and those words are fear, bow, serve, sacrifice, and obey. We heard a brilliant offertory given by Tony about what it takes to be a a Red Cross blood donor. You've almost inspired me, Tony. 
But I thought that's a, that was a very that was one of the best offering talks I've ever heard. To think, yeah, there are, there is a motive why people give blood, and it shows their compassion for people, which is why Red Cross was founded. And there is a motive behind each of these things. To fear means you you're more concerned about someone's whoever you're fearing their opinion than anyone else's. That's what it means to fear the Lord. To bow down, to worship Him, and to to, to make sacrifices and to obey him. God's saying, those are the things that you pledged for me and me alone. And now you're just giving them away. We read it in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 2. This is how it puts it. Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see. Where have you not been ravished? This is sexual language. This is unusual sexual language. It's describing Israel as a woman who has given herself, although she's married to God, has given herself sexually to whosoever. And God is saying, it's not that you've even done it in secret. You've gone up to the hill overlooking the city so everyone in the city can see what you're doing. This isn't even a secret, what you're doing. By the wayside, you are sat waiting, awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. Now, this isn't, doesn't sound very politically correct, but the prophet is referring to something that was well known in his days, is that if you went through the wilderness, if you went through certain parts of the, that wilderness, behind a, a rock could be waiting a highway robber who, was, who lived in that part of the world, and that part of the world happened to be Arabia. So an Arab, like an Arab, waiting, just waiting to pounce on someone and rob them. And God is saying, you are waiting around for someone with whom you can sin and break my heart. Now, as I pondered this, I thought, how many of us wake up to start our day and go, that's it, I'm going to break God's heart. Now, how can I do that today? I don't even try. And I still manage to do it. And here God is saying, you have actually plotted and schemed to break my heart. Oh boy. Do you see God's heart in this? Do you see how he's feeling? How does betrayal feel to God? How does it feel? If you felt betrayal, you felt the physical effects of it, haven't you? Whenever I've spoken with a couple maybe the one who's been betrayed, there's a, there's a physical impact on them from the betrayal. My question is, how does it feel to God? We're created in his image. You see, this really matters. When I, I wonder how, and I, I don't want to preach condemnation, really I don't, I want to preach the grace of God, but I wonder when our hearts are so inclined toward other things that we put God down the list, how does God feel? And as I looked at this, I thought, God, I don't want to put you down the list in my life. Please, please, God, help me to be fully devoted to you. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. And this perhaps gives us an indication of how God feels. God feels like a betrayed husband, someone who has been publicly humiliated and betrayed Verse 3, notice this. Therefore the showers have been withheld and the spring rain has not come. There's ecology. There is an effect on the environment, though I don't like that word. 
I'll use the word ecology. Yet you have the forehead of a whore. What's he saying there, the forehead of a whore? Well, in that culture, women, when they went out in public, they were discreet. They wore kind of a head covering. and it was, You see Middle Eastern women today who do that. But a whore didn't. A, a harlot, a prostitute didn't. She didn't wear the head covering. She exposed her forehead. She was saying, I'm loose and I'm available for the right price. That's what it means. I'm available. I'm open to sin. Ravi Zacharias tells the story of a businessman who was flying on a business trip to a certain place where he was sitting beside an, an attractive woman who clearly was travelling on business herself. And as this businessman struck up a conversation with her, he put a proposal to her. He said, how about when we get into where we're going, you come up to my room and we make love. And the woman said, certainly not. But then the thought niggled at her. And the next thing the businessman said as they were partway through the flight was, well, how about if I offered you a million dollars? She didn't respond straight away. And I've learned that hesitation is an answer. And then she said, are you serious? He said, oh, yeah. She said, looking at her wedding ring, okay then. The announcement went over the plane. They're coming into land. The businessman turns to the woman and says, actually, I wasn't serious about the million. How about we make it 100 She turns to him and says, $100? What do you think I am? The businessman said, we've already established that. We're now haggling over the price. What would it take for you to not be fully devoted to God? Verse 4. Have you not just now called to me? My father, you are the friend of my youth. So what are they saying? Jeremiah, don't give us that God's going to judge us and withhold the rain and God's going to be harsh to us just because we, we've, we've gone and done our own thing and lived life the way we want to live. Jeremiah, relax. Take a chill pill, man. We're cool. God has always forgiven us. We'll be okay. And Jeremiah quotes them. I know this is what you've said, that God is your friend. I rarely call God my friend. I want to stand a little bit more in awe of this God. He's my God. In the same sense that I'm my children's father. I'm not trying to be their friend. I want to be their father. See the flippancy here? Israel is being flippant with God. They ask this, verse 5, Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but you have done all the evil that you could. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, you know God is a forgiving God. You know God will welcome you home. But despite that, you continue to break his heart and push the envelope to the utmost limit. How dare you? Oh, boy. And I read this, and I wonder if they really understood God. And I have to kind of answer that question. I don't think they did. I don't think they knew God at all. I don't think they understood that the very thing they were looking for, the very, the very source of pure love that they were really looking for, was right there. He was there. He was God. Here's my question. And I want to put this as we bring this to a close. How would you respond to pure love? Now, I want you to ponder these five verses because I think this is pure love. You see, here's a God who loves these people infinitely. 
and he's angry with them. Can you be angry with someone you love? If you're a parent, you don't even have to think. Yes, you can. When you get angry with your children, does it mean you love them less? Not at all. In fact, the more you love your children, chances are the more prone to being angry with them you'll feel. If you love something and someone messes it up, you're prone to get angry. And that's a good anger, a really good anger. I hope you love this church. Someone hurts someone in this church, I hope you feel angry. Come on, I hope you feel it. When God, who is pure love, expresses that love to his people and they reject him and betray him and publicly humiliate him, he feels angry. And these people go, oh, God, just relax, man. It's not like it's a big deal. You know, you running the universe and all. And God thinks it is a big deal. How would you respond to pure love? I, I, was, I was pondering this. I thought, you know, I love Kim. But I've got to tell you, there's a part of me where that love toward Kim is selfish. Because I love loving Kim. When I hug Kim, oh, yeah, sure, she gets to feel my muscular sinews. and <laughs> She gets to experience manlyhood in its fullness. Sure, she's winning. Sure, this is a win-win for her. Sure. But there is a small part of me that says, I like holding her. She's nice. I like this. So what does pure love look like? Pure love. And how would you respond to someone who loved you purely? Because there is someone. God loves you purely. I'm reminded in 1 John because we could think, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. Don't, this is just Old Testament. No, it's New Testament. In 1 John, he says exactly in chapter 1 what Jeremiah is saying. You people, you don't acknowledge what you're doing is wrong. You don't acknowledge that your sexual behavior actually matters. You don't acknowledge that your, the way you use money, which is called worship, really matters. You don't acknowledge that. And in John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, he says the first step to being reconciled to God is acknowledging your true condition before God. And then he says this, and, and, and I hope you've all got this memorized. It's 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't know that, I hope you memorize that one. And I hope when someone says to you, there's no hope for me, I can never be made right with God, that you are able to quote that verse and offer them the hope that they need to hear. Israel had rejected God, and the whole point of the book of Jeremiah is God is saying, but even now, although a husband who has been betrayed by his wife, who has gone after other men and loved them and married them and has now been abandoned. Even in the natural, a husband wouldn't take her back. I will. I'll take you back. It's not too late, Israel. Come back. And this is the point. 
God was still offering to Israel a new beginning. And chances are you may be here right now or listening to me in your car, your kitchen, your radio or on your computer right now and you may think it's all too late. The consistent message of the Bible shows us that God's love invites us to have a new beginning, to be cleansed from sin, all the past wrong, and maybe I've touched a nerve with people, and I've got to tell you, God is able to cleanse and wash and forgive and give you a brand new start. Who wants that? Who could use a brand new start? Let's pray. Oh God, I pray for everyone here right now, listening to me now, that Lord, their hearts, including my heart, I put myself at the front of this people before you today, oh God, that cries out from our heart, Father, forgive us and help us to walk with you wholeheartedly. Help us to be your people, to have you as the primary focus of our lives. Now, if you know that you're in a place where you're not right with God, you are not guaranteed your next heartbeat, let alone your tomorrow. I urge you as strongly as I can, while we're in prayer, eyes closed, heads bowed, come home, come back to God, give your life to God. It can begin with a, with a prayer that's as simple as this, Father, I come to you today as your child. Thank you that you are the God of new beginnings. I want to respond to your love appropriately. Help me to live in your love and to show it to others for your glory. Amen. Have you betrayed God? Have you been reluctant to return to him? It's never too late. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah 7, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website, findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter, Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.